0: My name is Chris Lanuti, and for the first time in over four years and 413 episodes of Socks in the Basement, I'm here before the show with an actual disclaimer. You see, podcasts are incredible. They're on demand. They're at your fingertips. You can use all kinds of apps to listen to them. In fact, Socks in the Basement not only is everywhere, but so are all the other podcasts on the broadcast basement on-demand radio network. And listeners can listen anytime they want to. It's not like live radio. That's what makes the medium so great. And this show in particular has grown to a size that I could never have imagined when we first started this show. And I thank you for that. Yet this time, the way that we put our podcast together and put them out backfired on us. You see, we recorded this episode before the White Sox played last night's game. Because it's a podcast. And throughout this episode... I do make a point to question Yoan Mancata's offensive abilities. I mean he was hitting 199 going into the game with a 582 OPS. He hasn't had an offensive season to really brag about since 2019. And then he goes insane. Like right now as I'm talking to you he's 5 for 5 with 2 home runs, a single and a double. He'll probably hit for the cycle by the time I'm done recording this. Every single time I say something about Yoan Mankata, he does something amazing in between the time I record the show and when the show actually airs. In fact, if me saying something negative about Yoan Mankata's hitting makes him actually hit, I promise right now I will do a podcast trashing his offensive abilities every single day for the rest of the regular season and through the playoffs because if he hits like that, we're winning it all. Now, likely, everything I say in this episode still holds true in the long run. But man, do I feel stupid. That said, I'm not re-recording it. Because this is a good show. Is that good enough? We should just start now. All right, let's go. Man, I'm stupid. Where was that all year, Yuan? You're listening to Socks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good comes from a basement bar on the south side of chicago pull up a stool pour a cold one and join us right now for socks in the basement heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at socks i would have to say that i think the white Sox are the best team in the central division right now you know like when you get to the end of a college football season and they're sitting around saying, who should be in the, in the final four? The argument is made, well, who's the best team right now? Why, why does it matter what they did in September? And it's the same thing like when they're trying to figure out who should be in the NCAA tournament in March. Well, who's hot right now? Maybe that team wasn't good in the first month, but these bubble teams, like, who's really good right now? The White Sox may be the best out of three mediocre teams in the American League Central, in which the winner is going to get destroyed in the postseason. But we got two games separating three teams as we sit down, my friend, and looking at what the Indians are doing and looking what the Twins are doing and looking at how the White Sox just took two out of three on the road in Seattle. I, I have to say, best team right now in the AL Central.
1: Well, yeah, and, and this happens in a lot of sports, right? So think about it in hockey. When uh, you're getting towards the playoffs You don't really care who started the season on fire What you care about is who's, who's hot going into the playoffs right? Who's healthy going into the NFL playoffs Who's hot in baseball at the end of the year Is usually a, a good indicator It's just that you can't be that team That got yourself so far out of contention That you put on this wonderful blitz In like late August and through September And you go from being 25 back To being 12 back It's like wow look at that run we went on Yeah, It meant nothing but for the White Sox, the fact that they've been able to hang around and hang around, to their credit, they're the only team of the three that are at the top of the AL Central that are actually winning ballgames. And when Cleveland goes in and gets stomped by the Mariners and the Sox go in there and take two out of three, it just shows you something. There's a number of, I think, different things you can point to on this. From Miguel Cairo, you can point to Elvis Andrews and the things that he's been able to bring to the team, that little dead cat bounce that, that you would kind of hoped as a veteran off the scrap heap at the end of a season that he was gonna give you and you know that he was gonna have for his career. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff that's happening right now. And some of it may just be that you're getting some consistency in the lineup and getting some consistent play because we're not bouncing guys in and out from injury too too much, other than say Luis Robert. We're moving into the fall months and family waterproofing solutions works year-round
0: to protect your foundation and keep water out. And one of the ways to do that is to clean out the gutters all right when the leaves start falling remember they've got a really inexpensive gutter cleaning service it's all about keeping water away from the house if you have bowing walls window wells foundation to crack repair some pumps you need them checked out they come in they do the estimate there's no pressure when you're ready you hit the button right there on your on your phone, on your email, whatever, and say, yep, I'm taking this job. They set it all up. They come over. They do good work. They're family and veteran-owned and operated since they started in 2013, 24-7. Give them a call. Mention socks in the basement. Get money off. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Let's talk about Elvis Andrus because I find him to be one of the more fascinating things on this team right now. And some of his quotes over the last couple of days that have been gathered by White Sox beat reporters like Scott Merkin and Scott Greger and James Feegan, all of them regulars here on Sox in the basement who have been gathering this information. You can read what they have not only in their articles, but if you follow them on social media, uh, Elvis basically saying, I don't know what my role is when Tim Anderson comes back, but I'll play anywhere and I just want to compete. And I just want to be on a team that's competing for something. And I see him going back behind third base and making plays that I used to think that Tim Anderson was capable of making. But I haven't seen him make that often this year. And I think at least comparing him to the TA of this season... He's better defensively, which is weird because I'm sure you can find defensive metrics to say they're both bad or, you know, Andros is a little worse. The eye test tells me here's a guy who's red hot and he's hot at the plate right now. And it's going to be fascinating to watch the White Sox and what Cairo does when, if and when Anderson gets back to this team, if they're still competing, if they're going into the postseason, Andros is still hot. It'll be really kind of a. Uh, an interesting, fascinating thing to watch because with La Russa, I would just tell you, well, Anderson goes right back into his spot. He hits number one. He's a starting shortstop. And Elvis Andrews sits on the bench. And he's probably behind Larry Garcia coming in as a as a sub. Like, that's how I would read it if Tony La Russa was the manager. I don't read it that way with Cairo. I think Cairo tries to play the hot hand a little bit. And before anybody says out loud, well, yeah, but Tony's coming back. I'm not accepting that till I hear from the White Sox. All right, A blurb by John Heyman right after Paul Sullivan writes a story about how Tony La Russa needs to be back in the dugout does not indicate to me that the White Sox have decided that yet. That sounds like a guy who's trying to get back in. Pay attention. The White Sox aren't saying he's back yet, at least from what I can read. So we're not even going to think about that. Let's talk about Cairo, Andrus, and act as though La Russa is not coming back.
1: I would think the smart manager, or at least the The manager that wants to give something a shot and keep the best players on the field would be looking at something like Anderson going back to short, that's fine, but maybe he's bracketed then by Josh Harrison at third and Elvis Andrews at second and let Andrews play second base. I'm sure he's capable of doing so. Or Andrews at third and keep Harrison at second, whatever you want to do there. But putting T.A. back at shortstop because he may not be as willing to try other positions or he may not be able to, to pull off going to other positions, it's not an easy thing to ask anybody to do. And I'm not knocking Tim Anderson for it by any stretch of the imagination. But Josh Harrison's a utility guy. He's played multiple positions in his major league career. Andrews is saying, I'm willing to do this. So he's got the mindset that he's willing to do it. And it's not selfishness that, that drives T.A. to sit there and say, I'm only a shortstop. He may just only feel comfortable doing it. When you're coming back off of injury and you're trying to catch yourself at the plate, that's not the time to sit there and say, you know what, Andrews has been a much better shortstop I test stats-wise, uh, whatever metrics you want to use, than you've been, Tim. So we're going to put you at second, or we're going to put you at third. It, it, that's not necessarily a good thing to do for Tim Anderson. But to sit there and say, maybe I'm going to put Yohan Moncada on the bench because... I'm not pleased with his work at the plate, even though I love his glove, or I'm going to sit there and say, you know what, on the whole, Josh Harrison has done a fantastic job in basically a utility role for basically what he is, and I'm going to continue to find at bats and play, but I'm going to commit to this guy, this veteran who has come in, shown this leadership, shown this spark, shown you know that he is, at least from the standpoint of giving everything that he has left in his talent to the White Sox good, let's let this guy, you know, be on the field. And, and, you know, and if he is more than adequate at second, then you know what? Tim can shade behind third a little bit and let Elvis cat catch the stuff up the middle, right? There's a lot of things you can do there. So I would not be upset with Miguel Cairo if I saw a benching of even somebody like Joan Moncada or a benching of Josh Harrison, who's been good lately, in favor of keeping Anderson in the, in the lineup somewhere.
0: I mean, since he got to the White Sox, He's got one defensive run saved above average during those 18 games. If you look at defensive runs saved, like he's actually had a positive impact. Now, he's not a guy that's done that in the last couple of years. At his height, he was a spectacular defensive shortstop. Like when he was younger and he had all that mobility, his numbers would put anything that Anderson's put up to shame. But Anderson this year, negative seven runs defensive runs saved above average he's he's a negative impact his his total zone fielding runs above average negative 10. like he is he has been a liability at short compared to an Elvis Andrus who has been really good over there and made made a couple of big plays and big moments so it will you would think it would give a manager pause right I mean like how would you feel like in the if they get into a big game late, and Anderson's out there, and he goes to go make a play that we've seen Andrews do in the last couple of weeks. And he can't make it, and it's a turning point in the game. It'll immediately be something people will debate. Like, yeah, sure, he's our shortstop. Yeah, sure, he's Tim Anderson. He's on all the posters, okay? But I just watched this other guy, when we finally started playing well and started winning games when he was away, make that play. It's really it's interesting. I'm not saying that I don't put Tim Anderson back at short. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a really interesting decision that Miguel Cairo is going to end up having to make. Now, he gets to hide behind the fact that, well, one, he's injured, and two, they're not going to bring him back till they're absolutely sure they want to bring him back. And in a couple of weeks, if this team is playoff-bound or close to it, and Andros has not been making those plays, or we've seen a change or a shift in him, or he gets injured, you, you may never get to this question, right? But it's it's an interesting question now. Like, if all of a sudden he was knocking on the door today, how would you ease him in, and how would you play the two of them? Because I, I would hate to take Andros out of the lineup while he's hot. I know over 162 games, he just he's not worth as much as a player with his bat and everything. I get that. But you also look at it and you say, man, this guy, veteran, comes in, wants to win, doing some big things late in games. I mean, it, it is a really interesting question. And I, I credit the Sox beat reporters that have started asking it now because it's nice to kind of get ahead of it and hear that he's like, I'll play anywhere. Whatever they want me to do, I just want to play, right? And and he's a guy who's earning th- at least a spot somewhere. But that means somebody else is losing playing time if he's still playing the way he is.
1: Well, and in an ideal world, too, you you do have that situation where it's, you know, the guys that are playing a lot, like like Romy Gonzalez, you just don't see him anymore, right? He goes down, he's he's sent down to make room for T.A. to come back. The other thing, too, is, is that I, I wouldn't discount the idea that depending on Anderson's health and how he's feeling, that Anderson himself sits there and goes, this is working, and I haven't had the greatest year defensively, and I'm willing to do whatever myself. And, you know, he hasn't come out and said it, but he's also, he's not there playing every day. He's not getting interviewed every day. So you don't know what Tim Anderson's going to want to come back and do too. He might come back and sit there and say, look, I might be best served just being a DH if we're in the playoffs. Let me focus on hitting and not even worry about the defensive stuff. Let us go out there and do that. What you're doing is basically saying, I'm going to stick with one catcher, which makes sense. I'm going to stick with a starting outfield, which makes sense. I'm going to have somebody like Sheets available off the bench, or I'm going to start him in in situations where it makes sense to start him. And you play it a little bit more straight up because you have a guy now who's a full-time DH. So I think there's options as long as they don't do exactly what you said Tony would do in this situation, which is Tim's our shortstop, he's our leadoff hitter, and I know he's just come off the bench, you know, or just come off the DL with uh, very little chance to ease back in. But he's leading off this all-important game against a really tough pitcher. You know, uh, it, it, it's, it just doesn't make sense.
0: If you're heading out to the ballpark and you're looking for a good time, Get over to Cork and Carey at the Park, 33rd and Princeton, in the shadow of the ballpark. It is the perfect place to pregame before a White Sox experience, okay? One, you're right there. Two, uh, the beer's cheaper. Uh, the food's cheaper. And it's good. It's really good. I mean, you got award-winning burgers that are in there. You got all kinds of ballpark favorites. You got seating indoors and outdoors. You can bring the kids, bring the family. Enjoy yourself. Big selection. Big, beautiful bar, friendly folks, and and then you could just head over to the ballpark. And, and you know what I also like about it is, it's my place to go after the game. Now, after the game, it's an adult crowd. It's it's a bar, right? I mean, you're you're walking in there late night after a game. But that's what I go and do instead of fighting the traffic because it's such a mess getting out of that ballpark. I would much rather get myself one postgame beer, let it all clear out, and then walk from 33rd in Princeton back over to my, my parking lot, jump in the car, and drive off then. It is the place to pregame, postgame, and have your White Sox viewing parties get over to Cork and Carry at the Park, 33rd in Princeton, in the shadow of the ballpark, the official home of the podcast for fans, by fans, socks in the Basement. Learn more at corkandcary.com. I found something that you said right before we got to talking about Cork and Carry at the park. Um, offensive and upsetting, and I wanted to reach over and smack you, okay? I love you, but I, I, I don't know if you noticed the look on my face.
1: What did I do? I did notice a look on your face. Send down Romy Gonzalez.
0: Are you for anybody? Are you kidding me? Like, here's the thing. If everything goes the way that it's going right now, currently, and you get to a roster crunch situation where the decision is whether or not you're going to keep Romy Gonzalez up or you're going to finally bite the bullet, admit defeat and eat it and DFA Larry Garcia and you send down Romy Gonzalez, you can't tell me that you're trying to win anything because you're not putting the best 26 guys on the roster or 28 now in September, and then when you get to the postseason, 26, okay? You're you're not putting together the best roster if you are telling me that Garcia is a better option than Gonzalez. Gonzalez is better at the plate. He's better defensively. He's a spark. I'm sorry. I know there's Lurie Garcia fans out there. But here's a guy that should have never been given a three-year, $16.5 million contract that is going to hang on this team like an albatross until somebody finally admits he ain't worth the money, you screw that up, and move on. When the new GM gets in there, because I still think that's going to happen. I really do. I, I, I Even if they make the postseason, and let, if they get spanked in the first round, I don't know how you can keep the, the guy who's putting this roster together in the position that he's in, the new one would come in and get rid of him immediately. I guarantee that the next person that walked in would be like, this ain't my problem. Bye. Cause Romy Gonzalez is a better player. So you, you upset me there. And if I, if I look like I wanted to kill you, that's why, because I, I hate that take. Okay. Let's start playing the best players. Let's take the guys that are the best players and put them on the field and win. I don't care about how much money you're making or or what's, I want the best players.
1: I I, I understand your point, but he has my children. (laughs) Who is your children? Lurry? I I can't confirm or deny that, but he has my children. (laughs) I'm watching, and Romy is a better player than Larry Garcia. There's no doubt about it. But I don't know that, uh, that the Sox are going to get rid of Larry Garcia. I, I just, it, it doesn't matter if he's good, bad or indifferent. I just feel like that it's just, it's not going to happen. I would love it to happen. Frankly,
0: it's nothing personally against him. It's just, I'm ready to see the best players play on the team. A hundred percent. There are too many guys that get opportunities on this team because the GM made a mistake and signed them. And the old codger of a manager who was terrible all year long and had made bad decisions all year long that isn't managing this team. And now all of a sudden look at how good they are and how things are being done just a little bit differently and a little bit closer to the way that we've sat around and said, it should have been done all year long. And you're seeing results. It's because of that. I, I, I think that there has to be a point where the best guys have an opportunity to play the most. And, and it goes, it goes back to the conversation we started with, even though it's a hypothetical, even though I know how valuable Tim Anderson is in the team, it's just, that's going to be the interesting thing with Miguel Cairo. That's what I enjoy about Miguel Cairo. I don't necessarily think that he's like the greatest manager in the world. And I think people are starting to realize that there's always, there's a few interesting decisions where you sit there and go, huh? Like, I mean, Andrew Vaughn was a little low in the lineup the other night. I mean, I, I see like some decisions on which pitcher he's bringing in and how he's using, but so far overall, he's getting more wins than losses. So it's a good thing. And I still stand by the fact that if the White Sox make the postseason this is going to be his team for better or for worse, even though there might be better options out there than Miguel Cairo. I mean, think about it this way. It was so bad at the manager position that anybody who brought in was probably going to give you some sort of a positive bounce. And so we're seeing that. Okay. So when I talk about how much I, I like what's going on, I like it because the alternative was just God awful.
1: Yeah. Well, and and you were talking about minimum competent managing, right? So and that's not necessarily even a shot across Tony LaRusse's bow. It's just it, it's a fact. I'll, I'll make it a shot across his bow. He he has not managed this team well this year, and it's it's borne out. You just watching the games and watching the decisions and watching how things have gone. You you can't defend Tony LaRusso's management this year. Miguel Cairo is making better choices, partially because the bar was set so low, but also he's engaged. Is Miguel Cairo a great manager in the making? It's hard to say. He's also a rookie manager right now, right? So this is his first stint managing in the major leagues, and so any rookie manager is going to make some questionable decisions or mistakes or he's going to have some thoughts that aren't going to pan out. He's going to learn, right? He's going to learn about this team a little bit, and he's going to learn how he wants to approach things or what works for him in certain situations. I think you would see marked improvement in a Miguel Cairo from – ending the season on the bench as the manager of the White Sox versus giving him a full season from start to finish because that's going to be a better test is how would he do, how did the 2023 White Sox do under the leadership of Cairo versus how do they do at the end of the year? But I do think, you know, back to kind of the overall conversation about making these tough decisions, you know, we're talking about Larry Garcia in the front office having to make a tough decision, but if you're talking about making a lineup choice, What do you think Miguel Cairo does with somebody like Yohan Moncada, who has not performed at all at the plate at all this year and continues to not perform? Does he sit your star third basement down? Socks in the
0: basement listeners, do the hard work. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. I'm trying my hardest this show. I'm sure you can tell by now. Trying my hardest not to talk about the Tony La Russa thing. The Paul Sullivan article, we need Tony back in the dugout. What the, what the heck is that? And then, and then it's followed up by John Heyman in the New York Post. And it's one of those things where he's writing multiple blurbs in the same article talking about Tony's okay and could rejoin the team very soon. And it's really interesting, the timing. Well, it's also interesting that he has to put a line in there basically saying the White Sox have not said anything officially about this. So where is he getting the story from? But I find it really interesting that Dave Stewart's going to have his number retired in Oakland and his longtime manager has been planning all year to be there. So now you have a guy coming around the team that the team, or at least some people in the team, may want to have just kind of stay home and rest for the rest of the year, you know? Take care of yourself. Start thinking about whether or not you want to be a manager anymore, Tony. But he's going to come to the celebration, and the visitors dugout is going to have the White Sox in it. Like, how do you keep him away? I feel like an awkward team meeting or, hey, coach, are, are you back? Like, like some weird things may happen there. We're not going to get to see it. We can only kind of think about it. But I have a, a crazy conspiracy theory here that Tony wants back, and this is his way I don't know for sure, of just kind of inching his way back and then he's just going to show up. Like, hey, I was over here for the Dave Stewart thing and I figured I'd just kind of wander over and take over as manager. You guys good? Miguel, slide down a little bit. Just slide down a little bit over. Just move. Just just move a little bit off to the side. I'm the manager again. What a dysfunctional team. If Tony LaRusa comes back, what a dysfunctional team. This wild conspiracy theory was brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, and explore, and see everything they have to offer this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. Let's get back to the Yohan Moncada thing. Here's a guy that I believe is a great defensive third baseman, but I'm not so sure anymore about what we're going to get offensively. But he's signed to a ton of money, so he's going to play. And we're going to be told one day he's going to figure it out.
1: See, this is this is what we've been conditioned though, as White Sox fans. Over over the last 40 years, I would say, as White Sox fans, we've been conditioned that if Jerry is willing to shell out the money for him, the guy must be worth something because he doesn't shell out his money for just anybody. Well, eh, you know what? Everybody misses on some. And so I, I'm looking at a team though that is is heading towards the playoffs, and you're talking we we talked about Lucas Giolito. You know, the guy that walks into the season as the unquestioned ace of this staff, maybe not even getting a playoff start in, in a first-round series because you you can't trust him over Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, Johnny Cueto, even Michael Kopech if he's healthy. It's the same thing for Moncada I mean, at what point would you, would you be upset as a White Sox fan to sit there and say, I'm going to install Romy Gonzalez, who's hitting two who who's got a respectable OPS. It's a smaller sample size. I will grant you that. But I'm going to put him at third base, or I'm going to put Josh Harrison at third base, who has been playing better in the second half, and I'm going to leave Yohan Mankata, who is below the Mendoza line, maybe even off of my playoff roster, if it comes down to that, because he's less valuable as a good defensive third baseman only than even Larry Garcia, who may or may not have my children in captivity, is as a guy who could at least come in and play multiple positions in a pinch, in an extra inning game, in something where uh you know you're in the 14th inning and you need a guy who can play kind of anywhere to you know to, to come in and, and sub in because you had to do something or he had an injury so uh, yeah rickon needs to be looked at for that but really also i don't know what rickon does with you on moncada because you committed to him when he's one of the best prospects in baseball and at one point the top prospect in all of major league baseball and now you years later understand what he is but what's his market even so oh no you're stuck with him You're stuck with him when the when this season ends,
0: no matter if it's good or bad, uh, no matter if they make the postseason or they don't. And remember, I mean, like even as we're sitting here talking, even after a a really solid series where they take two out of three against the Mariners, they they're still only a game over 500. Uh, Sure, they're going into this series with Oakland, but I don't know how it's going to go because I can't get my hopes up too high because of the amount of disappointment that's happened this year. I'm hopeful. There is plenty of bed that they could poop. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I I want the best for them. I'm hopeful. I I watch with anticipation, but I also am guarded at this point when I watch them because I've been hurt so many times this year by this team. But no matter how it ends, when you go into the offseason, that's a guy that even if you are disgusted with what he does at the plate, if you don't like something about him, you're not moving him because nobody's taking him. You would need to find a GM that's like, oh, we know how to fix that. White Sox is just stupid. And then if you make that trade, you're going to feel dumb because he's going to be good all of a sudden because somebody knows how to fix him. I don't know if that's the case. I think the, the White Sox plan has to be we've got to figure out how to get this guy going at least at a rate offensively that he's acceptable. You know, with that defense, he doesn't need to be a star. He just needs to be a guy that when he comes up in the, in the seventh, eighth, or ninth spot that he's productive and you have to start building your team with the understanding that he is not a middle-of-the-order guy and likely not a guy that you could put in the two-spot. I saw him thrown in there the other day oh, by no, Cairo. No, 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 no. He's more of a defensive third baseman, and then you have to find the offense someplace else because a lot of teams get their offense from third base, and you're not going to get the kind of offense that you always wanted from Yoan mancada at third base. It's a team-building issue because you've invested a lot of money essentially for a defensive player, and that's not to say he's never going to get a hit or have a walk-off hit like we've seen this year. But overall, when you look at the scope of his season and and how he accounts for wins above replacement, he's definitely doing with the glove instead of with the bat. And you've invested money in that. So then when you build your team, you have to think that way. The worst thing the White Sox can do at this point, especially going into this offseason and in the offseason, whoever's in charge, is to look at guys through the prism of, well, we think that they're this, even though they just showed us over 162 games that they're that, right? Like you have to know what Yasmani Grandal is at this point. You have to know what Johan Mankata is at this point. You could sit there and say, wouldn't it be great to move a player? But like I've said before, the only people that you're going to be able to trade are people that would be valuable to another team. And with that contract on Moncada, I don't think so. It's the same thing with Grandal. Like if you're not happy with Yasmani Grandal, and you get to the end of the year and you go, I don't know. I don't think this guy is a plus for us at the catcher position in 2023. You also have to find somebody that thinks that he's a plus for them at the price tag that he's at, which I think is about $18 million. So if you're building a team in 2023 and beyond, the most important thing is understanding what the player is. If the Sox are still sitting there at SoxFest telling you that Yoan Moncada is something other than what you watched this year, that's when you become afraid for the season. If you start hearing, oh, that's," it's only been a couple of bad years, he's going to bounce back, and they aren't accepting of the fact that really since 2019, this has not been a guy that I've relied on a lot at the plate, then you, that that's when you start to be concerned about the direction the team is going in. If you hear them say things like, you know, Yohan gives us great play at at, uh, at third base. He saves a lot of runs. We think he can contribute a little bit more this year. He's been working on stuff, but we added more power in other positions in our lineup because they have an understanding of what he is, then it it, it softens that blow and it shows that they at least understand their personnel. I think that's the one thing that probably drives me the nuts the most about the White Sox is a lack of understanding of their own personnel at times and equating the dollars that were spent on the player for what is expected of the player. Even if anybody can look at the players, take the dollars out of it and say, well, this guy is this and this guy's that.
1: Or even the desire of the player, right? Like the Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets thing or Jake Berger is another example, right? All three of those guys over the past couple of years have said that they are committed and they want to, for example, in the case of Sheets and Vaughn, become good outfielders they're not that, at least not yet, but there's a point at which you sit there and say, well, when's he yet going to come? Okay. And it's the same thing with Jake Berger sitting there going, I know second base is wide open and there for the taking, but if he just doesn't have the defensive chops to do it, it's not a knock on Jake Berger. He just, you know, not everybody's a second baseman. Not everybody has the, the range to be a middle infielder. And the guy has been through, you know, absolute hell with his body over the past couple of years. So, you can you can sit there sometimes, and I think watch the White Sox go. Gavin's such a great kid, and he really wants to be an outfielder. I'm going to let him try and do it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to convince myself that Gavin is a is a solution in right field, because, gosh darn it, he's he's just he really wants it. He really wants to try. I mean, you know, at some point, if you're a parent and your kid really wants to play guitar, but has absolutely no idea how to carry a tune with one. And has no rhythm and no ability to hear notes or anything like that, you just sit there and go, you know what, kid? Maybe take up smoking weed and playing video games. (laughs) It's just gonna work out better for you. Don't do that, kid. Bad message. Bad message, Ed. Okay, maybe it's not Larry Garcia that has my kids as much as DCFS. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.